of October, we've been talking about healthy families. And we've said, you got to take judgment and guilt off the table because those don't help anybody. And we know that health looks different in each family. So that's kind of our starting place for this series. We've talked about a lot of those relationships that are most important and closest to us, significant others, parents, children. This week, we're extending the table and talking about some of those folks who may not be quite as close to us, but are still important in our lives. And you can see the differences among us evidenced on our altar table. We've got a little tiny children's cup. We've got whatever this is with the lemonade and the straw. And we've also got fancy china to represent the diversity that's present in our families. The scripture that you'll hear this morning is from Genesis. Abraham and Sarah, who are held up as models of our faith, have left everything, the certainty of their home and their family, to follow God's call, which led them into the desert, living in a tent for years as they sought their permanent home. And the scripture passage from this morning finds them kind of in the middle of that journey to find their home. So let's hear these words. This passage is taken from the message. God appeared to Abraham at the Oaks of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance of his tent. It was the hottest part of the day. He looked up and saw three men standing. He ran from his tent to greet them and bowed before them. He said, Master, if it please you, stop for a while with your servant. I'll get some water so I can wash your feet. Rest under this tree. I'll get some food to refresh you on your way, since your travels have brought you across my path. They said, certainly, go ahead. Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. He said, hurry, get three cups of our best flour, knead it, and make bread. Then Abraham ran to the cattle pen and picked out a nice, plump calf and gave it to the servant who lost no time getting it ready. Then he got curds and milk, brought them with the calf that had been roasted, set the meal before the men, and stood there under the tree while they ate. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please join me in an attitude of prayer. Lord, I pray that the words I'm about to speak and that the meditations of all of our hearts might be pleasing and acceptable to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been thinking this week, this month, about tables. And as I think about tables, like particularly dining room tables, one of the most important things to me about a table is that it has to be sturdy. Like, I want to be able to put my elbows on the table and lean in over the meal and not worry about this thing collapsing or bending or something happening to it. That's my number one value in a table. But my number two value is, can you expand the table? Can you put an extra leaf in it and make it longer when you have company over? Do any of you have extendable tables? 
a few of you. My grandma has a table like this, and it's got, it can, I don't know, four or five leaves. Do they even make tables that have five leaves? That you can put in the middle, and this thing can just stretch the entire length of her dining room so that it can just be an intimate gathering of a few of us, or it can be the whole family around a single table, because that's just how long this table can stretch. I love a good extendable table, especially if it's sturdy. I also love the passage that we read from Genesis this morning. It says, the Lord appeared to Abraham. And Abraham was sitting at the entrance to his tent. He was just waiting for guests to show up. That's how this passage paints it. And you have to remember, Sarah and Abraham were living in the desert, so not too many people showed up. They're in the middle of nowhere. And so he's on the lookout. He's like, is anybody going to pass my tent today? Because if they are, I do not want to miss them. I want to make sure that I can run out and greet them. And so he sees these three men passing by. And whether he's looking for conversation or news or somebody to trade with, he jumps on the opportunity and he says, whoa, stop here. Stay a while. Let me get you some water to wash your feet. Let me get you some bread to fill your stomachs. And it sounds like it's going to be a simple meal or a simple meeting with bread and water. You think, okay, well, that won't take too long. But in fact, Abraham runs into Sarah. He says, okay, you need to, break, you need to bake some fresh bread for these people. And he runs out to his herd of cattle. He picks out a plump little calf. And he says, okay, we're going to prepare this. We're going to cook this. We're going to serve this to these people. This was not a short undertaking. This would have taken several hours to make this happen. And butter or curds, as we heard in this translation, milk and bread, it may seem like a simple meal. To us it would be, you'd just run to the grocery store. But in Abraham's day, this was a big deal. This was a significant meal. To offer people meat, that was, that was significant. He's going all out the way you or I might do if we wanted to impress a guest. We bring out our fancy china, we bring out whatever our best baked goods are. That's what Abraham is doing here. Now it turns out it's really good that he did that because what we know when we're reading the passage is that it's God appearing to Abraham. The Lord appeared to Abraham, the scripture says. We know that as readers, but Abraham doesn't know that at first. He just thinks they're strangers, like any stranger, passing outside of his tent. And it isn't until later after our scripture passage for today stops that he learns that these are divine messengers who have brought him a word from the Lord. Now, throughout scripture, we're told to treat people with kindness. That's a running theme throughout the Bible. There's Abraham's story that we've read this morning, but there's also the passage from Hebrews in the New Testament where it says, you don't want to miss out on treating strangers with kindness because you might be entertaining angels without knowing it. Have you heard that passage before? Probably. There's a passage from Matthew where Jesus says, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. There's a passage, well, throughout the Old Testament, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Jeremiah were taught again and again, people who are unfamiliar to us, we should treat them with kindness. We should welcome them. We should support them. And we talked about biblical hospitality earlier this fall because of all these passages and because it's our core value as a church to greet people with hospitality, to welcome those who are unfamiliar to us. And we're really trying to follow that call as a congregation, which is part of why, as Paula mentioned this morning in the celebration, we've got coffee. We always have coffee, good coffee. 
and we've got cookies, and we've got lemonade sometimes, and we've got greeters at every single entrance to this building, which I don't know if you've noticed, but hospitality has gotten a lot more complicated now that our building is bigger, because there's all these different entrances that people can come into, and you may have been recruited heavily to be a greeter over the past <laughs> couple of months. Raise your hand if you've been a greeter. That is awesome, I love that. If you did not raise your hand, this is your personal invitation <laughs> to talk to Mary Knaus or to talk to Deacon Laura because that task seems so small, like you're shaking a hand and you're offering a smile, but that is extremely significant because every single week we get people who have never been into this building before and they don't know where they're going. And you may be the very first impression that a person has of this faith community. And so the fact that you're there by that entrance, whether it's this main entrance or the north entrance, that is huge. That is so important. It's so important. And it may feel like a simple thing, but man, can that be transformational. The same goes with the coffee ministry, preparing the coffee, cleaning up the coffee, volunteering at front porch. I know some of you have probably done that as well. So important. So important, because people are coming in and they don't know where they're going. They may not know where the sanctuary is. They may not know, is this going to be a warm place, a welcoming place, a not-so-welcoming place? They don't know until they see your face and you greet them and you say, hey, I'm really glad you're here this morning. I'm really glad you're here this morning. Of course, we know it's not always easy. Hospitality is not always easy, which is why we need so many greeters, so many coffee makers, so many coffee clean-uppers. I mean, it's challenging at times. Those of you who have served in those capacities know that it's tough work to line up all those volunteers, to give up an hour to come early to be a greeter or do one of those tasks. It's, a, it's an ask. It's a thing. But that's part of what it means to be at this part of this faith community, I think of the example of Abraham waiting at the entrance to his tent, peering out, looking for who's going to pass by. That's like the greeters on Sunday morning. You're like at the entrance to the tent, peering out, like who's going to come in this morning? What familiar face am I going to see? What new face am I going to see? Because that's equally important. Those people were welcoming back and those people were welcoming for the very first time. Now, of course, shaking hands and giving a smile, that's just the first step. That's the first piece of the puzzle. It gets a little more challenging when we talk about sharing something deeper, sharing our lives, sharing our time. But it also starts the same way Abraham's story does. He's at the entrance to the tent. He welcomes people in. But he also says, stay a while. Have a meal. Let me, let me cook for you. That's an invitation and a model for us, too. We can invite people to have a meal. It doesn't have to just stop here at church. You can turn to somebody who's sitting next to you in the pew and say, hey, you want to come over for dinner? You want to go out to a restaurant? Then you don't have to cook. Let's eat a meal. Let's stay. Let's hang out. Let's spend some time together. If you haven't done that recently, this is your invitation to do that. Maybe with somebody you don't know as well, or you haven't gotten the chance to sit down with, even though you've said, oh yeah, we're going to get together. You haven't actually done it. Now's the time. Now's the time. I had a church member at my previous church who was really good at this challenge of invitation. She really knew how to do this. She was not afraid to open up her house to anybody. And it sort of became a tradition. I was at my previous appointment for six years, and every single year in December, she would say, okay, 
Now, I know you've got family close by, but if you need a place to be on Christmas Day, you're welcome at my house. I want you to come to my house. And she said, I know Methodist pastors, you're itinerant, you move from place to place, not every pastor in every year is close to family, and I never want any clergy person or any person to feel like they don't have a place to go. So you're always welcome in my house. She was great about that, and she was serious. She was completely serious. And she didn't just invite me, she invited coworkers, and she invited friends, and she invited friends of friends, and she invited all kinds of people, and people loved going to her house because number one, she was awesome at hospitality. She always made sure there was more than enough to eat. And number two, you never knew who you might meet at her house. She was just great at welcoming people in. She formed community like, well, it was her spiritual gift is what it was. But you and I can do that too, whether or not it's our spiritual gift. I think about my dad's extended family when he was growing up. That's the way they were. That family... He describes it as a place where the door was always open. And so every holiday had a different mix of relatives and friends because his family was a place where people knew that they could go if they didn't have a place to go. And so if your neighbor or your coworker or your friend you know, was living far from family or they didn't have a place to go that year, their family wasn't getting together, whatever, you could invite them. You knew that they would be welcome. You knew it was a safe place to invite people to. And there'd always be more than enough food. And the spirit was one that was welcoming, invitational. Like you could go and be part of that family. Of course, each family does family gatherings differently. I don't have to tell you that. There are some families who are very tight-knit and very tradition-based. And so every family gathering happens in the same way. Maybe the same foods are served. Maybe people sit in the same spot around the table. I don't know if any of you have families like that or know of families like that. And then there are other families where it's much more informal. It's more relaxed. You grab your plate of food. You sit wherever you want. Different people around the table is common. These are different family traditions and different styles. We know this to be true. So my dad's extended family came from this informal, everybody come kind of place. But my mom's side of the family, uh, much more tradition-based. And it was, when I was growing up, very ritualistic in the way these family gatherings happened. I mean that in the best sense of the word. Um, everybody sat at the same place at my grandma's table. And regardless of the holiday, we would have some of the same foods. We we always had dill pickles that she had sliced in a particular way. I'm not sure what that was about. <laughs> and there are always jello salads. Every meal, a jello salad, which was so tough for my husband Joel because he doesn't actually like jello. And he didn't admit this to anybody in the family until several years in because he felt like he was going to be ostracized for not liking jello. And so we got the jello, we've got some kind of potato dish, and then towards the end of the evening, as things were winding down and we needed something else to munch on, my grandma would bring out ground bologna sandwiches. Do you even know what those are, ground bologna sandwiches? A few? Okay, a few. I love those things. My husband Joel thinks also those are kind of gross. Um, I feel like I'm describing one of the most Midwestern dinner tables possible here with the jello and the ground bologna and the potato. I loved these things growing up. I loved it. And of course, when you're a kid, you love routine. So you love that you can show up to the table and you know there's going to be jello and you know there's going to be potatoes and you know there's going to be dill pickles cut just so in a little glass dish. You love that stuff. 
But the thing about family is it changes over time. It can't stay static, whether we want it to or not. And so in the example of my mom's family, I got married, my cousin got married, suddenly there were these extra people and we didn't all fit around the table anymore. And so these seats that we'd occupied for our entire lives, they suddenly didn't fit. There just simply wasn't room. And so we had to, in that case, we couldn't expand the table anymore. We had to actually add on an extra table. We didn't have a kid's table in my grandma's house until we were adults. And then we got sent to the kid's table. But then there are other things that happen, right? Like one year my in-laws came for Thanksgiving, and so suddenly they're around the table too, and that really changed the family dynamic in a good way, but it shifted things, it was different. They brought some of their own foods and some of the foods that we'd had, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't quite a place on the counter to put them all on there, so things shift and things change. And whether you come from that kind of family that is extremely formal in their traditions, like my mom's side of the family, or you come from one of those families that's really laid back and everything sort of changes from year to year, like, more like my dad's side of the family. We all have assumptions about what it means to come together around a table for a holiday especially. We all have sort of a culture of family and things that we carry with us, whether they're loose traditions or, you know, more rigid. And these assumptions and this sort of culture of family can be extremely comforting. But it also can feel a little bit alienating, depending on your time of life and where you're at. And there are all kinds of reasons that a gathering with extended family might feel a little bit awkward. And I don't really need to name them for you, but I will. Politics, difference in religion, Michigan versus Michigan State, <laughs> Ohio State, you throw those folks in there, you know. Who knows what's going to happen? But I also think of myself. Many of you know that I have a beautiful new daughter named Maxine, who's four months old, and I love her. And this is exciting. This year is exciting because every family gathering that we go to is the first that she's gone to. So her first Thanksgiving and her first Christmas and her first Easter, and I'm just so excited to be able to share these things with her and with my family. But leading up to this point, it's been almost a five-year journey for my husband Joel and I to create our family. And so there have been a lot of holiday gatherings where we've all gotten together. And it's been fun, it's been nice, but it's also, there's been a little sense of loss where I've looked around that table and thought, hey, I thought that we would have a child by now. I thought that things might look a little bit different this year. And I know I'm not alone in this. I'm sharing my story, but I know that there are things that we carry with us into family gatherings that make it difficult and make it heavy. Maybe for you it's not the desire for a child, but maybe it's the first holiday after the death of a loved one. Maybe it's going into that family gathering after having experienced a divorce or the loss of a job or any kind of major life change, really. And so you go into these gatherings and you wonder, Will people ask me too many prying questions this year? Will people look at me differently? Will they judge me? Will they treat me with pity? Or maybe, depending on your personality and your particular loss, they'll pretend as if nothing has changed, which perhaps could be the worst situation of all. You all know what this is like because you've gone into family gatherings where things have shifted. I know that you have from talking to many of you. 
And then again, sometimes we're the ones who are guilty of being part of the family and asking those intrusive questions or make, making people feel like, oh, well, if you'd just done this differently, then things would have turned out in a different way. Sometimes that's us, and we need to do better. If we've got somebody in our family who's gone through something, there are resources. We can read books. We can read internet articles. We can simply talk to that person and say, hey, do you want to talk about this or not? Because if you tell me not, I am not going to bring it up again. We can, we can do these things. We're up to this challenge. We can make people feel welcomed at our holiday tables. Extended family is difficult. It's like this complicated dance that we're a part of. Last week, Rick and I referred to it as a generational drama, and that is sort of what it feels like because our place is always shifting, things are always changing, we're trying to do the best that we can, and yet as Christians, we're called to be those who intentionally welcome one another, even when it feels strange. It's so important to welcome one another in because at any moment, there's somebody in our lives who simply needs a break from their families at the holiday. There's somebody who lives too far geographically from the rest of their family and needs a place at your table. There's somebody who doesn't feel welcomed or maybe explicitly has been told by the rest of their family that they're not wanted. Our task is to invite those people in and say, hey, you don't have a place? Come to my house. Come to my house for Thanksgiving, for Christmas, for Easter, whatever it is. Come over, have a meal. Stay a while. Let me cook for you. If we're lucky enough to be part of a family system or a friend system that welcomes us, let's open that circle. Let's extend that table. Let's welcome a few more people in because people are looking for that kind of community. And if we don't have that kind of community in our lives, it's okay to create one. You can start from scratch, from the ground up, and say, okay, well, I'm going to step away from this situation over here, and I'm going to put out a table and welcome people to it. I'm going to be the creator of this kind of community because it's our task to create safe space and to be people who welcome others in like Abraham did in that story. So my husband, Joel, he's also gifted at hospitality. He used to do this when we were in seminary together in Washington, D.C. Every Thanksgiving while we lived on campus, he would make a turkey and he would find a way to host a Thanksgiving dinner because he was too far from home. He couldn't go back to Minnesota for the holidays. And also he was employed on campus. He couldn't leave his job. So he was stuck in D.C. with, with no family. And so he would find anybody else at school who didn't have a place to be for the holidays and he would invite them in. And the rule was you could bring something to eat if you wanted, but there was always more than enough to eat. So that wasn't really you know, your ticket of entry. The only rule was... If you wanted to come to the dinner, you could come to the dinner. You couldn't exclude anybody because Joel was the one hosting and he was like, all right, this is a place where, hey, you need a place? Come to this place. This is the place to be. And none of the people who came to those gatherings were his family. But for a moment, around a table, on a holiday, they created a family. They created a holy community where everybody was welcomed and fed. That's our call. As Christians, we're called to be like Abraham, waiting at the entrance of the tent, looking for potential guests to invite in, hoping that we get the opportunity to host other people and offer them bread and milk, whatever that is. 
to ask those questions. Who needs a place? Who needs to be welcomed better, more fully? Who can we invite to be part of our family for a meal or maybe longer? So may we this week, this holiday season, take this calling extremely seriously. Maybe we be people who show hospitality and truly create community. Maybe we be people who make others in our lives feel welcomed, set a place for them at the table. It's difficult, but it's also just so simple. Add a few extra leaves, add a few extra plates, put on a few more potatoes on the stove. We can do this. May it be so. Amen.